Welcome to The Good Enough Mother. My name is Sophie. I am a mother and a motherhood studies sociologist. I believe that we need broad social and cultural change in our societies in order to adequately support the mother to feel empowered, held, revered and respected in our society and culture. I have conversations here with experts and change makers who want to expand the conversation that we're having about motherhood. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, I'm sharing a conversation that I had with Rachel Rose and what brought us together for this podcast was an intention to discuss community building and creation and what it looks like to live in a world where we don't have the village that we so often talk about. Majority of us don't have that when we are becoming mothers and navigating our way through motherhood. And so what can it look like to try and create the world that we long for and the world that we want to see? What are the challenges with that? And what are some of the ways that we can get curious about our own experience, our relationships with others and the connection that we have with ourselves and our own inner knowing? Rachel is a mum of two and she's a pregnancy and postpartum doula and women's circle facilitator. She wants mothers to be seen and celebrated, to feel loved and less alone. Rachel is utterly obsessed, as she says, with creating spaces for connection for women through her circle work. She's recently released a program called Together. It's her online women's circle facilitator training. And already over 130 women from around the world have joined this training. And excitingly, Rachel has really generously offered a discount for listeners to this podcast who are interested in joining her program together. If you are interested in becoming a women's circle facilitator training, the first 20 people to use the code good enough will receive $50 off the training. So have a look in the show notes for more details on that. But the code is good enough or capital letters and you'll receive $50 off. So that brings the price of the training down to $349. That's Australian dollars. So we'd love to hear what you think about this episode. Feel free to share online on Instagram and tag both Rachel and I. And I really hope that you get something nourishing and connecting out of listening today. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel. I'm really thrilled to have you on and for us to dive into this discussion around villaging and revillaging and what that means. And in preparation for this interview, I was having a look through your website and one line which really struck me that I wanted to kind of reflect back to you and, and ask you to speak to in your introduction and to share with listeners is you say, I create spaces where women can come home to themselves, returning to their inner wisdom. And I just love that and feel such resonance with that sentiment in in my work as well. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners and share a little bit about yourself and what you do. Thanks for having me, Sophie. So my name is Rachel Rose. I am a mother of two. I have a daughter who's five and a half and my son is turning two in two weeks time. And I'm a doula, but I don't attend births. So it's not the traditional kind of doula that your listeners might be aware of. I just found attending births and being on call with a young family was pretty much impossible for me and my family. So I support women in their pregnancy and in their postpartum time as well. I also work with women even before they become mothers in the preconception, thinking about a baby stage, all their concerns about what becoming a mother might look like, how it might change their lives. So I support them in the emotional transitions of their life. I'm also a women's circle facilitator 
and really mother-centered around my circles. So I predominantly hold pregnancy and mother circles and bringing women together to talk about the realities of modern day motherhood. Why I say that I bring women home to themselves and their inner knowing is because the work that I do as a doula and a circle facilitator, I'm not there to give advice. I'm not an expert. I'm not putting myself on some pedestal as you come to me and I'm the all-knower, all-seer, way-shower. I listen really deeply. Uh, I may reflect things back to women, but predominantly women work things out for themselves as they're speaking and as they're going through these huge transformations. So in Circle, we don't cross-talk. We don't then offer a, a piece of our wisdom after someone has shared. I see women just work through their own stuff with the space that they get to just share who they are. And so I love that. When I first started in the doula sphere, you know, there was probably some ego in it, some wanting to change situations for women, maybe wanting to rescue them from themselves and their experience. And I think a lot of mothers who work in motherhood spaces can sometimes get into this work because of maybe a negative experience. And that was my genesis as well, having a traumatic birth and an unsupported postpartum. But over time, it's it's <laughs> the more that we seek wisdom outside ourselves, the less powerful we feel as mothers. So I'm really trying to just create spaces where women can can talk and to be seen and heard for, for who they are, whether that's feeling amazing about their motherhood experience or having a shit time of it. And there's always going to be greys and in-betweens as well. Yeah, I hear you and thank you for sharing with us about about what you do and how some of your work has evolved in this space as well and uh, what you've what you've shared there I know a lot of my listeners will resonate with in wanting to move into this realm of work of motherhood support because of our own pain ultimately our pain is is driving us in some way and actually it reminds me of a conversation I was having yesterday talking about creativity and pain and art and creation and mm. Uh, melancholy and all of the ways that we kind of tumble and wrestle with the meaning that we make out of our experiences and what can come from that. Um, but something I wanted to, to touch on that you just shared and ask you to expand on a little bit more is this sense that the more that we seek wisdom outside of ourselves and the more that we search for answers within others, the less empowered we can feel and the less we can hear ourselves. And I mean, what do you think about this in the context of modern day motherhood, where we know that actually in many ways the role of the mother has been devalued mm -hmm. and we are told to look to experts for how to mother, mm -hmm. um, particularly with, you know, okay, tell me, psychologist, what's the best way for me to interact with my child? And tell me, pediatrician, what's the best way for me to whatever, you know, to look after my child and mm -hmm. tell me, nutrition expert, how do I feed my child? And and how that can be both empowering and disempowering. I don't know, what are, what are your thoughts on that first off? Yeah, it's a tension and I've done both as well. Like I want to freely admit that I love learning. I, I became a doula in part as well because I looked at my bookshelf and suddenly it had been replaced from the university studies that I was actually meant to be doing with a hundred books on birth and motherhood and breastfeeding. And I was like, oh, I think I'm interested in something else here. 
And, you know, there there is something to be said that we have lost some wisdom over time. If you think about breastfeeding, we say it's this innate natural skill, but actually it's a learned skill. And we would have been learning about breastfeeding by observing other women breastfeed their babies. The first time I saw a breastfed baby up close was when I was breastfeeding my own newborn. And so I think we're trying to fill these knowledge gaps of experiences of just being with other women and other mothers in close proximity by reaching for the books and learning. But, you know, when I was a newborn mother, I had to read six books on safe bed sharing before I could trust my instinct and my inner knowing that I wanted to be next to my baby when I was sleeping. But it really took a lot of like understanding that it was safe and I was being a good girl <laughs> by getting that knowledge from someone else. So it's hard. We're, we're wrestling with with the tension of wisdom lost. And I guess when I say not looking to experts, what I see happen in women's circles is like every woman in the circle is an expert. And so we're listening and, and learning from our peers. And I, I'm totally okay with that as well as reflecting in, well, okay, that's okay for that mother and baby, but does that suit me in my circumstances? So yeah, I don't know. I don't know how we'll, we'll get away from this. <laughs> I think there's still roles like I love listening to podcasts. I love listening to your podcast. We're thirsty for the knowledge, but I think that's in part because we're just not living amongst each other and learning through experiences. Yes, yes. And I think there's an important distinction to be made in learning from others and looking to others to tell us how to do, how to think, how to feel, how to be. Yeah. yeah. And I've been thinking about this lately in my own experience of of not so much mothering, but being with myself. And I've noticed a transition that I've gone through when my daughter's turned five. And I've, as those who have listened to the podcast for a little while will be aware, I've, I've been having some health challenges with my daughter in the kind of end of last year and the first part of this year. And that kept me really busy. And that kept me in, in relationship with experts in various different specialties as well and it also though asked me to step up into my own knowledge and authority as a mother because I was the one kind of doing all the little bits and piecing together and there's a lot that we can learn through that experience but then when things are actually okay as they are now and and I'm not attending a heap of appointments every week and and things are a bit more settled I found myself going okay, well, where's where's my own inner sense of knowledge about myself, Sophie, not, not in my mother role, and have noticed a practice for myself I've, I've come to find as useful, and I wonder if you've had experiences with this, Rachel, or if others listening have, that the more that I notice that I'm asking others for their opinions and asking what others think, and if I'm faced with a decision and my reaction is to go, oh, I should get advice from this person and maybe I'll reach out and I'll book a session with this person and I'll ask this friend because she's been through this. And if my initial reaction is actually to move outside of myself and almost survey and mm -hmm. research, hello, research, then actually the less tethered I can feel to my own knowing and I can feel a bit scattery. And mm -hmm. so I've been kind of using that as a filter to say, actually, no, I am the filter mm -hmm. of 
everyone else's knowledge, opinions, things they want to say, you know, their two cents in. But I actually have to ask myself first mm-hmm. and anchor into my own knowing first before I go out and seek feedback or opinions from others. How, how do you feel about that process? Yeah, I'm the same. I've, <laughs> I've been having a difficult time in parenting in the last probably six months and I keep noticing that I go to find someone <laughs> to kind of work with around, you know, I'm, I'm losing my temper a little bit more than I used to. I'm finding the, the way that I used to parent isn't quite hitting the mark. I was very quite dogmatic about attachment parenting, gentle parenting. A lot of that has fallen, not fallen to the wayside, but raising a baby during a pandemic and having two children and being about to, move into a caravan we've just sold our house and I I find myself like looking on Instagram like who can I talk to about this what parenting coach can I enlist in this and then I take a pause and I'm like look at your life on paper why wouldn't you be losing your temper a little bit more than usual and is it really that you need to pathologize what is happening and go out and kind of you know spill my guts to someone else when really I I know what's going on for me. I know what's going on and I can do my own reflective practices. I can write in my journal. I can take a moment before I respond. Like I'm not saying those practitioners are not helpful. They absolutely are. But I'm really resonating with that idea that when we get flustered, we immediately look outside rather than just thinking into like what, what is actually happening for us right now. Yeah. You've touched on it a little bit there around gentle parenting. I know there's a conversation happening more broadly culturally at the moment where there's been some commentary on gentle parenting and some of the problems with gentle parenting. I know there was a New York Times article about this Mm. and I've been seeing more discussion in this space and, and Dr. Caroline Boyd and I have been talking about doing some work on this actually and what we might like to say and share around some of the pressures and intensification that gentle parenting or respectful parenting or mindful parenting or just actually what are meant to be really useful and helpful tools for us as mothers can kind of be turned into dogma, turned into an ideology, turned into another should and Mm -hmm. ends up being another manifestation of the perfect mother myth that we Mm -hmm. feel as though we're not able to live up to. And so I've been thinking a lot about this. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, Rachel, in thinking, and my thoughts aren't fully formed yet, (laughs) so let's see how they come out. But I don't know if gentle parenting is the problem and I'm, I'm conscious of not using more, of not using gentle parenting as the scapegoat for patriarchal motherhood. Yeah. Of, and I think, you know, we see this sometimes in, even in discussions around feminism and motherhood saying, mm. you know, feminism's forgot about mothers and feminists have left mothers behind. And, and yeah, absolutely. There's a room for a conversation around that, but let's be mindful of where we're focusing our attention for critique. And just be curious about what else may be going on here. And I wonder if maybe this comes back to part of what we've just been talking about in our self-centeredness, as in the centering of self and the anchoring of self. And that actually as mothers, as you say, we've lost the collective wisdom. We've lost a sense of mothering within community and with support. And we are looking outside of ourselves for a lot of it because actually there's a gap here, which we're also looking at. How do we, how do we find support? How do we, how do we find something here to help us when we're struggling? Mm. Um, and I just, I wonder if potentially it's the gentle parenting, respectful parenting, mindful parenting 
we're not able to filter it through the lens of or the filter of our own knowing mm. because we're not deeply connected with our own knowing yet because no. we're trained out of being deeply connected. Yeah. What do you think? That makes sense for me. Like, uh, I didn't know I could have needs in my first relationship with my, my, my firstborn. You know, I, I'm proud of the fact that we breastfed until three, but I was feeding her through the night until we weaned and I didn't like it for the last 18 months of what we were doing, but I didn't know that I could not like it and make changes. Whereas I think what's happened with the pandemic and really like coming, like seeing patriarchal motherhood really up, up front and center with everything that's happened with loss of support, loss of childcare, loss of resourcing in the last couple of years, my needs have become very loud because they can't be quiet anymore because there's, there's no wiggle room here. Like I feel like the last two years, so many mothers have been so on the edge of burnout or even in burnout more than I've seen before. And I've been working with mothers pretty much since my daughter was born. So five and a half years. And, you know, I say gentle parenting has has been harder for us this time around. I, I still practice a lot of the ethos. I still really love the philosophy. But, yeah, I've, I've really come to know, like, I matter too. My needs matter too. And so what that's looked like for, for us this time is starting to night wean at 18 months and then even thinking like what would happen if night weaning led to full weaning would I be okay with not feeding my baby beyond two years I had such a strong attachment to what that meant for me as a mother and so I've had to do just a lot of processing around like I'm in this relationship too and learning things from you too, Sophie, and just being like, oh my gosh, this intensive mothering, it it can't work. It is just a recipe for burnout. And I don't think I really understood that with my firstborn. And so I'm trying to tease tease more of myself out in this process. And maybe maybe that still means I am totally gently parenting and, and doing all of that. I'm just I'm in the picture as well, <laughs> whereas before, you know, I couldn't really see myself at all in the relationship. Mm, I think you've touched on a really critical point that actually underpins all of this is that it isn't even a conversation of me too as a mother. It's gentle parenting or, I mean, look, there's a heap of def definitions. Mm. We're not going to go into that, but parenting in a connected, respectful, mindful, attuned way and building connected relationships with our children it's it can't be me too it has to be me mm. and you mm. or it's not a relationship you know mm. it, it's not an apology of unfortunately I have needs too and I've recognized them and now I'm gonna have to try and meet them while also continuing this mothering thing it's mm. this sense that actually I mean I don't know in my experience the more should driven my energy is, the less gently I'm able to parent, the more reactive mm. I become and the harsher I am on myself. And that leads to inevitably disconnection with my child. Mm. So actually these first steps of centering ourselves, recognising our needs and becoming curious about what we actually value, as you've just shared with the, your breastfeeding journey of, all. Mm. okay, what does this mean for me? What attachment have I made here? What story have I made up here? What am I telling myself here? And doing that means we don't have to try hard at 
gentle parenting or yeah. whatever else it may be because we're living in alignment with what we value. Mm, yeah. I hear that. But that's really hard to do, isn't it, in Mm. a context where we're often mothering in isolation. And that leads me, I wanted to share with listeners, read out a post that you've shared on on Instagram. And I wonder how it'll be for you hearing your words reflected back at you and and see kind of what comes to the fore as I read it out. This is a post that you shared about uh, re-villaging. And so uh, you say, there is no utopian village awaiting us when we birth our babies. Re-villaging usually means mothers supporting other mothers. Creating community, which is based on relationships, takes time, trust, energy, and effort. Modern day motherhood is already challenging, let alone pursuing new friendships and webs of support when sleep deprived. Mothers need each other, even at our reduced capacity, to see and support each other in the ways we wish we could. It can be a very lonely road otherwise. Meeting through circle, women's circle, can be a fast track for mother to mother friendship. Connection occurs through meaningful conversations and shared experiences. The masks come off. I love that. I want to extend on that. I was drawn to running circles because of the isolation and loneliness I felt during my first pregnancy. Sick with HG, matrescence blowing my mind, and no one to talk to about it. I want mothers to feel less alone and more loved. I believe circle is the perfect place for that to happen. Mm. Would you share with us a little bit more about that post and, and where that piece of writing came from for you? Yeah, sure. So I'm reflecting on the last five and a half years of motherhood because I've just moved out of the community that I worked really hard to build. And when I was pregnant, we had just moved to to Wollongong and I didn't know anyone there and was sick for the, for the majority of my first pregnancy. So wasn't able to make connections in that pregnancy and then had to like really catch up very quickly afterwards. And my partner was working full time at the time, which is pretty common and away out of the house for eight, nine hours a day. And I just turned around to myself in my home with my baby and I thought, this can't be right. This doesn't feel right. And that really sparked this obsession, I would say, with connecting with other mothers, forging new friendships and um, being a connector for other women as well. So it's it's my pride and joy really to just say like admit if you're lonely ask for what you want seek out friendships and be vulnerable be brave and also I try to model and speak to the fact that like my community didn't fall in my lap it's not like I woke up on that day and said I'm lonely and then 17 women arrived at my door and we were all plaiting each other's hair like you know it it took a lot of work and uncomfortable conversations and you know, there's also this trope that we we have to find our like-minded people, and I don't think that reflects reality. That's not what village life would have been like. We romanticise the village so much because we're so desperately longing for it, and we think anything, we think it would be so much better than what we're living in, but I think we take it to that next level of fantasy, like in a village everyone would just be there'd be no conflict we would all just be skipping through our day holding each other's babies breastfeeding each other's babies everyone would love each other there would be no fighting there would be no differences of opinions it would just be the best thing in the world and 
I just don't believe that would have been true. And there are still villages today. We can forget that too. Um, we romanticize it to the point of forgetting that there are village-like structures and societies all throughout the world, even if we're not living in one. So I began the work of re-villaging myself and it still isn't actually what a village would have looked like because it is predominantly mothers plus or minus five years in age from me. So there's not the intergenerational relationships that would have been in true villages and there's yeah not a lot of family support. It's It's been how can I how can I create this village with with peers essentially but then also noticing the shortcomings and the limitations of trying to support other mothers while also being deeply in the motherhood season and you know yearning to do more for each other and not having the capacity or trying to give when the tank is low and then you, you you feel yourself burning out and it's like we're in a bit of a pickle here but <laughs> I'd still rather that we support each other in this way um, and what what a common theme comes up in mother's circle and the last one I ran went for it was basically six months together with the same group of women and there would be tears and women would be crying about how much they wanted to be able to do more for each other because they knew about the lack themselves because they needed support but we're just stuck in this rock and hard place and so you know I spent many many hours seeking out friendships, going along to community events, going along to meetups, breastfeeding meetups, birth meetups, gentle parenting meetups, using apps for mums that where you like kind of match and then, you know, finding that I would get ghosted because, you know, women are busy and, you know, having to put myself out there and face rejection or then, meet with women and go a few times and realize okay there's not enough here like we don't just want to talk about how many times our baby poos I'm still searching still seeking out and so I, I did get to a really beautiful place I have beautiful friends in Wollongong that I've worked really hard at maintaining those relationships at supporting each other and yet the pandemic over the last couple of years especially during multiple lockdowns where we were able to message each other but still physically distanced. And then whenever we go into periods of families having sickness in their households, you really just look around and you're like, I don't know who to call on because I can't call in another mother and her baby or her toddler into my house when we're, you know, got fevers and we're sick as well. And so we're making a two-hour move to be closer to family down south. And I was reflecting on that there's no utopian village because that's, it's not going to be this conflict-free lifestyle down here either. Now we're going to have to see how it works with extended family members. And this isn't my family, this is my partner's family. So I'm on that dynamic of being the daughter-in-law or the partner of the 
brothers and sisters of Tristan's family and I know Julie my mother-in-law will listen to this so hi Julie I love you and also like we'll have to work out a new dynamic in her you know handing my grand uh, her grandbabies over and vice versa and there will be some things that Julie will do that I might not do as a mother and there will be some things that I do that Julie might not 100% agree with and we're going to have to work it out in that tension because we're so desperately seeking more support and resourcing and more love and time for our children and that's looking like making this huge upheaval even if yeah it'll be complicated and so I think what what naturally happens is when women learn about how we may have raised babies in the past in villages we we have a natural grieving process and an anger process and I think I was there for a while <laughs> and I couldn't really see anything outside that it just felt I felt victimized by what I didn't have and then it spurred action and then I've just kind of been living in that action for the last you know four four five years like okay this is not it, it, it's not normal how we're living in parenting. It's not normal to be in these nuclear families so isolated from each other. What what can I do that is just a semblance of more normality, even if that means doing the best we can and doing meal trains for each other? You know, my online women's circles, we just were able to send a week's worth of meals to a mother that's still not that normal. It's not normal that people wouldn't be turning up at her doorstep and, and being there for her, but we connected online so we can send her meals. This is revillaging in that modern day context. We just need to do the best that we can with what we've got. Yes. Yeah. And I hear a lot of um, creativity and innovation there that is required as well in thinking about what, what does support look like here and mm -hmm. what could support look like? And navigating all of the challenges that we have in even naming our needs and asking for help or receiving help and also acknowledging as you say the kind of the rage and the grief and at acknowledging I know that listeners will be positioned in various ways you know some have lost those connections through geographical boundaries and having you know needing to migrate move to another country or some don't have parents who are alive anymore or have strained or strange relationships with their parents or there are all there are all different ways that this can look and I think too also for people grieving the loss of what they imagine support may look like mm -hmm. and so perceiving support to look in a certain way and then it not looking like that and then feeling some sense of feeling let down or disappointed and adding into the mix of this conversation too all of the global which we've referred to uh, economic shifts as well that have happened and processes of globalization, of urbanization, of just the fact that we're not often living in close proximity to those we've built significant relationships with throughout our own childhood, for example. And I guess I also want to asterisk and say that what I don't see talked about much and what is a difficult conversation, I think, to have culturally is, and I'm aware that, you know, this it could like ruffle, ruffle feathers listening to this because I know a lot of us hold value around feeling as though we, we are longing for the support that we don't, haven't received from other generations of mothers. Mm. Also recognizing though that our mothers and our mother-in-laws and our grandmothers are also subject to the patriarchal constraints that we are 
mm-hmm. albeit in different ways likely, mm-hmm. but that we know the rates of homelessness, for example, around older single women in Australia, and we know that actually women have been carrying the burden of care unsupported for generations mm. and acknowledging too that who are we who are we looking to who are we relying on for that care and I think it can be tough you know I think it can be tough for grandmothers too in these spaces where they're caring in in multiple different ways and are battling their own health constraints and they aren't supported and they don't have the foundations of support themselves mm. and they may yearn to help their children in a particular way but may not necessarily be able to. Mm. I don't know, do you have any thoughts on that, Rachel, based on the experience you've had in supporting women? Oh, yeah, and just personally as well. Like I'm, you know, I think there was a a grieving process with my own mother in that she wasn't able to be there for me, both geographically we lived apart, but then also in some ways emotionally. But my mum was a single mother and is still working and works in a low-paid disability sector she works her butt off. She's caring for a, a sick partner. And she was never supported in her mothering. She has three children and, you know, there was no village holding her through it all either. And so there was no modelling for her, but also there's just not the time, space, capacity, finances that she could she could be there. And and likewise for my mother-in-law, she had four children and and there was there was nothing. There was no meal trains there, you know, where we're trying to re-educate everyone about things and, and, you know, some women will, like grandmothers, will hold a lot of grief as well that they'll need to process before they can even think about showing up for their daughters or daughters-in-laws or family members because, you know, it's really hard to be a mum and they've carried that hardness as well. So, yeah, I see that in in circles as well. Like we... Yeah, and I think that's where this this tension can be. I see a lot of strained relationships between mothers and daughters, unfortunately, and and then also there's this big movement in the postpartum kind of space around like having really rock solid boundaries to the point where you just don't have anyone over for weeks at a time because that might you know, energetically disrupt the mother and the mother-baby bonding. And I, like, I really want to protect the mother-baby dyad, the oxytocin, the mother's ability to heal from birth. Like, that's important stuff. And I get it, but I also think it's gone to the other opposite side of the spectrum where loneliness is harmful for new mothers as well. And we need to, you know, maybe anticipate that, family members might say the wrong thing or they might have differences of opinions in how you feed or parent a newborn, but mothers need to get stronger in themselves and maybe even be able to hear that and just not take it on because they can distance themselves from that information while still bringing in loving family members that might not be able to do some things but can do other things. Like that you might be able to direct family members to make the meals or hang the washing out or take the dog for a walk and still have them in the space, even if there's tensions over how parenting plays out. And I know that's really difficult, especially when new mothers are, you know, sensitive and so open and we want the best for mothers and babies. But yeah, this idea that you just don't invite anyone and you have just you and your partner for sometimes I hear it's like 
we've taken the concept of the first 40 days, which is a traditional lay-in, which would be supported by community. Those, you know, you would have had family members and, and members of the community coming to tend to the mother. And now we've taken that in Western culture and been like, we're just going to shut ourselves inside for three or four weeks and not have anyone around us. And so I think we just need to tease out whether what, what's more harmful in the long run. Yeah, and in an interesting way, we've kind of circled back to what we were talking about at the start of our conversation, which has been a common thread throughout, which has been the anchoring into the self and our own inner knowing and using our ourselves and our values as the lens through which we filter mm. the world and other people and coming into, I mean, I find it helpful and I've had others share that they've found it helpful to remember that we've been living inside different variations of the fish tank intergenerationally and culturally and so what was seen as being the rules of good motherhood for our mothers, for our grandmothers, for our great-grandmothers will be slightly different to the rules of good motherhood in our current culture and will also be different to the values that we hold. And, you know, I think of my beautiful gran, my mum's mum, and she she was mothering completely in isolation. They lived rurally. There was mm. like five people within, you know, that they used to have to travel for a long time to even get food and it was a really different experience for her and my 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 mum was fed on goat's milk from milking the goat they had in the backyard I mean it's totally different to the way in which I'm mothering now and I think sometimes remembering the changes in context can also help to to remember it's actually not all about us Mm. because in sometimes painful ways the witnessing of our own journeys will raise things within others mm. around their own mothering journeys. As you say, mothering, it's it's hard. And we haven't, up until now, I hope we're starting to see changes, but we haven't had a great, uh, we haven't had a grasp on language and spaces to be able to talk about our experiences in meaningful ways that are honoured and, and the space is held for, which mm. is, is coming to the point of, of your women's circles. And I know we're coming towards the end of our conversation. So I would love for you to share with us about if someone's listening to this and they're resonating and they're like, yes, I want to be part of this. I, I want to move into creating more connections for myself. I want to be a conduit for these types of connections in my community. Tell us about your program that you have on offer to support women to be able to do this. Oh, thank you, Sophie. So I created an online women's circle facilitator training. It's called Together. I had been running them in person in Wollongong, and I just know that there are many more women that want to start circles. And I think it's a totally legitimate reason to have a personal motivation as well. And I do speak to the in the training about professional boundaries and guidelines and safely holding space while also, you know, wanting the connections for yourself. So I cover all of that. But, yeah, you can join at any time. It's self-paced. And the idea is that you start not knowing anything. You can be a total beginner. You cannot have even sat in a women's circle because I have quite a lot of women who follow me on Instagram that are like in rural New Zealand or um, live 50 minutes outside of Newcastle, New South Wales, and they can't travel into town with their little bubs. They haven't been to a circle before. So the training really speaks to what happens in a women's circle. Why do we enjoy going to them? How can you hold space for other women? What are some topics and themes? Like, I hope I've covered 
everything you need to know and nothing you don't because I want it to be also like really bite-sized and manageable and achievable for mums to do. And the feedback that I'm getting is that it's so great. I can listen to a 30-minute video during a nap and then I feel like I'm pushing the needle towards like creating that community. So yeah, Together's available now and I've had over 100 women join and circles are already starting, which just brings me such pleasure and joy to know that women will be meeting around all sorts of themes and topics for motherhood and, and, and womanhood as well. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to speak just briefly on this. You mentioned your nan and I have an anecdote as well that I wanted to share. When I was planning my home birth, I had a hospital birth first round and then a home birth. Home birth is radically different to how anyone in my family has birthed. And my nan was not on board with it. She felt a lot of fear and I was able to hold space for her and those conversations in the first and second trimester because as you get closer to giving birth, you become more sensitive and more open to other people's opinions. But I was able to like really reflect like, I understand why she's fearful. The whole world is fearful about home birth if you just open the newspaper. She didn't birth that way. She birthed under twilight. Like, it's very different. And then as we got closer to the third trimester, I said, Nen, I'm not actually available to have this conversation anymore. I love you, but, you know, the hospital's nearby. If you need to know that, the hospital is five minutes away. I feel really confident in my decision. I'm not available to have that conversation. And then she was calling in the last week of my pregnancy and I decided at that point, I'm just not going to answer those phone calls. Like I'm 42 weeks pregnant. We'll just let those slide. And then she was one of the first women that I called to let her know that we'd had our baby. And I said, I had an amazing home birth. I loved every second of it. And she was sort of sighed and went, oh, I'm just glad that's over. And, you know, I, I had to just go, that's fine. I love her and I love who she is as the matriarch of our family and we can have differences in opinion and that's where we've got to just know that that village would not have been free of conflict and it is human to have differences and to still be able to meet in, in respect in some way, shape or form. So I wanted to share that as well. Mm, thank you for sharing that with me, Rachel. And wow, what a beautiful what a beautiful anecdote and experience and capacity to have your boundaries in a really loving way, right, for the protection and the nourishment of your relationship ultimately and the compassion that you hold for her and also the knowing within yourself of, no, this is what I, this is what I want and I'm comfortable and I'm confident and it's okay. And yeah, I think that's so beautiful. It's made me curious to talk to my mum some more, actually, because my sister and I were both born at home mm. and that I think we were the first home births in our family. But I'm curious to go and have that conversation now. So thank you for that prompt, Rachel. And thank you for everything that you've shared with us here and for the work that you're doing in the world. And there'll be all of the details for you to connect with Rachel in the show notes, all of our wonderful listeners, and to check out her program as well if you would like to participate in some of this revillaging and how amazing to see the women's circles popping up all over the country and I imagine the world too um, as a result of your training. So thank you so much for being here, Rachel, and for everything you do. Thank you, Sophie. Thanks. I hope you've resonated with something from today's episode. Please consider leaving the podcast a review to help me have these conversations reach more people. 
If you're someone who works with mothers, check out my online training, the Motherhood Studies Practitioner Certification, and you can head to my website for more information about my other services, drsophiebrock.com. Thank you for being here.